This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. I'm Dana Perino. I'm Jason Chaffetz. I'm Rachel Campos Duffy, and this is the Fox News Rundown. Monday, October 23rd, 2023, I'm Mike Emanuel. There is tremendous turmoil across the globe from the Holy Land to Ukraine. For Israel to make sure Hamas can never strike again, there's a tough fight ahead. This certainly is going to be difficult and a critical juncture, uh, both for uh, the Palestinians in Gaza and for Israel. I'm Chris Foster. Militaries are finding more and new ways to use artificial intelligence on and off the battlefield. So it'll continue to evolve over time. And the countries or the militaries that spend more time focusing on that are going to have an edge over those that don't. And I'm Carol Roth. I've got the final word on the Fox News Rundown. The humanitarian crisis in Gaza is growing, but an Israeli government spokesperson says the enemy must not be able to access any aid that enters the region. We uh, will uh, make sure that we they will get this uh, humanitarian aid, but uh, this aid cannot end up in the hands of Hamas. That is our condition. But Congressman Adam Smith, the top Democrat on the House Armed Services Committee, urges that help is desperately needed for everyone else. Look, there is no question that there are risks in sending the aid in, risks that Hamas will take advantage of it. But I would ask, you know, anyone who's critical of this, should it really be our plan to starve two million Palestinians in Gaza? I I think there's considerable risk in doing that as well. Two American hostages were released in recent days, but Secretary of State Antony Blinken said at a press conference last Friday, there's plenty more work to be done. Any cooperation that um, that we can elicit that facilitates the release of hostages, any cooperation that we can elicit that secures the provision of humanitarian assistance to uh, the men, women, and children in Gaza who uh, who, who so desperately need it, um, we're, we, we work on that every day. Back here at home, there are now nine House Republicans running to be the new House Speaker. After some big names like Steve Scalise and Jim Jordan failed to secure the necessary 217 votes to earn the job. Senate Republican leader Mitch McConnell on Fox News Sunday said the House needs a leader soon. I hope they can get a speaker sometime soon because it it does send, I think, a poor message to our allies and our enemies around the world. And we also have work to do. We have appropriation bills to pass. We have a supplemental to deal with. So I'm pulling for them to finally wrap this up sometime soon. And some powerful members are saying they don't want the job. (laughs) No, uh, but I certainly want one. Ohio Republican Congressman Mike Turner is chairman of the House Select Committee on Intelligence. I do think that uh, the conference is is going through a process that will help identify a leader uh, that can unite the House I certainly supported Kevin McCarthy, who, as you know, was was fired by a handful of Republicans and 208 Democrats who didn't want him working with Democrats, which, of course, is a, a sad state of affairs in Washington. But we've got a lot of important work to do, and I'm certainly hopeful this week that this will be concluded. 
you have any sense of how it shakes out? I mean, I know you're just hoping it wraps up, but do you have a favorite at this point or just have to go through the process? My favorite is who can get to 217. Um, I'm, I'm hopeful that we can also have a process where you know, the person is identified before we're on the, with the drama on the House floor. Uh, I think we have an ability to come together and be able to you know, identify somebody who can, can lead, and uh, I'm looking forward to that. Okay, let's dig into your intelligence portfolio as chairman of the Intelligence Committee. Uh, Saturday marked two weeks since the brutal Hamas rampage that continues raging on. First trickle of humanitarian aid entered Gaza this weekend after lengthy negotiations with 20 trucks carrying food, water, and medical supplies. With the severity of the situation, this stream of aid is unlikely to last long. Um, where do you, things stand at this point, in your view, and how should the United States continue aiding the region? Right, well, it's certainly good to see the aid trucks uh, beginning to move. You know, the Palestinians in Gaza are hostages and certainly victims of Hamas themselves. Uh, Israel must be able to remove Hamas and their attempts to continue to operate as a, a terrorist organization. Uh, they are a franchise of Iran, and uh, you know from the atrocities that we've seen uh, several weeks ago, it certainly shows that this is goes to the heart of the uh, national security threat uh, for Israel. The administration is putting together a package of aid that will include the ability to provide additional weapons and uh, also a, an intelligence assistance to Israel uh, in this process. Uh, but uh, you know this certainly is going to be difficult and a critical juncture. Uh, both for uh, the Palestinians in Gaza and for Israel as they try to remove Hamas, lessen the terrorist threat there, and hopefully uh, lead to a period of peace. There's been some suggestion over the weekend that a ground invasion of Gaza has been held up because the United States wanted more time, I think, probably to get aid in and probably to try to get some civilians out. Are you able to comment on that? Any guidance from your view? Well, I would say certainly getting aid in and getting the hostages out is, is incredibly important and a top priority. I do think that um, the United States should not be interfering in Israel's attempts to, to prosecute uh, this, this war and this, this conflict with Hamas. Um, we don't want to put them in a disadvantage at the same time. We've got to get an environment where the hostages can get out and that, uh, that aid can get in. That's going to be a difficult balance. Um, but, uh, you know, we certainly uh, hope for the best. I've seen a range of numbers, but uh, one of the most recent numbers I saw was about 200 hostages being held by Hamas. Uh, we saw two Americans were released Friday, which may have prompted the movement of aid. Um, do you think Hamas will continue releasing hostages if aid is sent into Gaza? Well, certainly we know that um, the, uh, the portions of Hamas that uh, committed these incredible atrocities, killing over a thousand uh, innocent civilians, uh, Israelis, uh, appeared to be operating separate from the leadership of Hamas. So there's, there's a period where Hamas is reacting to try to understand what their new environment is. And, and I think um, they, too, perhaps may have been surprised of the extent of, of hostages that they found taken into Gaza. Uh, hopefully, as as they understand the uh, the importance of returning those those innocent hostages, uh, that the leadership of Hamas will answer that call. And so it's a good sign seeing the initial two that have been released. While all this is happening, the United States is continuing to aid Ukraine and its 
really tough fight against Russia and also working to secure our southern border. President Biden just laid out a $105 billion national security package to aid all these crises. Uh, your thoughts on this amount, and is it a mistake to tie a few of these things together? You know, this really is a national security package, and right now we're seeing these national security threats jointly. And the, uh, the threat in Ukraine is not just an issue of, of Ukraine, or, or do we support them or do we not? It really is an issue of Russia and their attempts uh, to, to expand their authoritarian regime's reach. Uh, what they're doing with their military, with the advancement of their, what people are calling exotics or brand new nuclear weapons, are intended to absolutely threaten the United States. They continue to pose a, a direct threat to the United States. What we're seeing, obviously, with uh, Hamas and Israel is, is Iran's influence. Uh, and, and Iran attempting uh, to um, use Hamas and Hezbollah to attack Israel, uh, again, our, our ally, a, a democracy. Um, these two forces, Iran and, and Russia, must be responded to. Will this national security package be one of the first votes held by a new speaker? And if so, will you be selling it to your conference about the need to pass it? Well, the, the package has just gotten to the Senate. They're going to take about two weeks uh, to modify the package. I do not think that the package should just be adopted as sent over by the White House. I think there are things that need to be changed, certainly when, with respect to the, uh, the southern border package. We, I think uh, you know, the administration's flip-flop in indicating that they will now support a wall clearly shows uh, that uh, the wall barrier uh, at uh, our border is necessary. I think the funds that are in this upcoming bill should be redirected to completing that wall, that barrier. Uh, there are also some additional changes probably that need to be done in the Ukrainian and the Israeli aid, and uh, those will be very important debates as we look to move this forward uh, for what will be the United States national security. Let's talk about the threat Iran poses right now as a known supporter of Hamas. The threat of Iran getting involved in a broader Middle East conflict looms heavily. You recently co-sponsored the Stop Harboring Iranian Petroleum Act alongside Congressman Mike Lawler. How could this deter Iran and what else should be done to ensure Iran will not further assist Hamas? The administration has been very weak on its sanctions with Iran. They've been pursuing um, a, a, a follow-on to what was known as the JCPOA, the Nuclear uh, Agreement on Enrichment of, of Uranium, uh, with Iran, which has been proven to be futile, uh, after then paying $6 billion uh, for um, U.S. detainees in, in Iran. Uh, their attempts to try to curry favor with Iran, um, I, I think, has really been very difficult for us overall to achieve the goals that we need of trying to contain Iran's adventuresomeness in the area, certainly their support for Hezbollah and Hamas, direct threats uh, to Israel. If Hezbollah gets involved in this, this fight, uh, in this conflict, uh, you know, obviously this will make it more difficult for Israel, and it certainly will show uh, that the two franchised terrorist organizations, the Hamas and Hezbollah, have joined together with their support with Iran uh, to attack Israel. Do you think the administration has been wise to send the amount of U.S. resources to the region as a show of support for our key ally, Israel? Uh, absolutely. I think the, pres the military presence there is there to be a deterrent, and I think it certainly has that impact. The adversaries of, of Israel and, uh, and Iran know that the United States have significant capabilities in the region, and uh, to the extent that they would either threaten the United States or directly threaten Israel. Um, 
the United States has the ability to bring a military force to bear. You have an intelligence portfolio. Is it stunning to you that Israeli intelligence, which is typically known to be top-notch, missed what Hamas was planning against the people of Israel? This was a huge intelligence failure, but it was also an operational failure. Um, even once it began to unfold, uh, the ability of Israel to respond uh, was, um, was incredibly slow. Uh, and the United States uh, usually supports Israel in its intelligence-gathering efforts. I think in part this is part of a reflection of the, the political tumultuousness that you've seen in Israel. They've had uh, you know, back-and-forth prime ministers. Uh, Netanyahu's now back in power. They have very uh, small margins uh, for uh, their wins in the Knesset. I, I think when you have that kind of a succession of tumultuousness uh, politically, it begins to weaken administratively and, of course, your military uh, leadership also. I, I think that that should be a message to us uh, as we look to the, the difficulty we're going through, uh, that uh, you know, this type of political and governmental turmoil does have an impact overall on your security. I was going to follow with that point. Basically, is there a lesson for us to learn? Because it feels like uh, the two parties are bickering a lot these days and, and maybe distracted a bit from some of the things that you study with your background in intelligence. Yeah, this, this really is, um, is, is very tragic. Uh, we were, we're, we're in a situation now where the, because Kevin McCarthy refused to shut down the government, a handful of people joining with 208 uh, Democrats, shut down the House of Representatives. We're going, you know, we're more than 18 days now uh, that the House has been shut down, unable to do our work. And certainly as we see the uh, national security threats that are growing around the world, uh, we need to get back to work. He is the chairman of the House Select Committee on Intelligence, Mike Turner, the great state of Ohio. Thank you so much for your time, and we'll be following the speaker race this week. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Mike. Take care. Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. This is Carol Roth with your Fox News commentary coming up. FBI Director Chris Wray warned at a conference last week artificial intelligence can and is being used to help with computer hacking and spying and to create and spread propaganda. We worry about AI as a, uh, an amplifier for uh, all sorts of misconduct. Uh, taking Right now, where it's most dangerous is essentially taking junior varsity uh, bad actors and bringing them to the varsity level. But in fairly short order, we're going to be seeing AI taking the varsity level athletes and taking them to a whole nother level of dangerousness. Right, an event in California with intelligence chiefs from Britain, Canada, Australia, and New Zealand with the U.S., known as the Five Eyes Intelligence Sharing Network. AI is 
also being used more and more by tech-savvy militaries in a variety of ways. So ChatGBT and other large language models, you know, they can do you know, quite a bit you know, that militaries need to do. Brian Clark's a U.S. Navy veteran and senior fellow at the Center for Defense Concepts and Technology at the Hudson Institute. Obviously, militaries need to do a lot of writing. You have to write orders. You have to write code. You have to write you know, mission plans. And you know, it would seem like military planning and operations aren't something that you can just use a large language model to do, but you can't. So if you've got a big enough database of past operations you have to draw upon, um, you can actually use you know, ChatGPT to kind of create plans based on what's worked before. What's something specific, like in logistics and planning, like food or fuel, that you can right. use this stuff for? I mean, well, answer that part first, and then I'll move on to how, who feeds the model. How does that work? Right. Yeah. So, you know, you're coming up, you're trying to come up with a plan for like, what's the best way to get fuel from the depot where we're storing it, you know, which might be even back in the you know continental United States. I need to get that fuel out to a tank farm in Guam, and then I need to get it onto airplanes, you know, that are flying around off of Guam. Um, you'd say, well, that seems like I got to go do a bunch of math and figure out the time distance and th- how much the weight is going to be and all those things. But you could also say, well, I've got all these past operations. We build these logistics plans, for example, on spreadsheets like Excel, right? So it's just a bunch of Excel spreadsheets that talk about, you know, where the fuel started from, where it went, how much fuel was transferred, you know, over what time frame that occurred, and, and what vehicles, you know, may have been involved. So that's all just on on spreadsheets. And you can just download that and use that as the data to have the large language model scrape. And it'll give you the same kind of output that you get from you know, chat GPT when you ask it to do more mundane tasks. Speaking of uh, very important, but it sounds maybe mundane, is uh, it's just stuff like maintenance. You say that, um, that AI can help sort of predict when and how stuff is going to break down and you can stop it ahead of time. Yeah, you know, what they'll do is feed in you know, into uh, an AI algorithm, the learning that it's going to do is not necessarily a language like a large language model would do like chat GPT, but instead the data here is going to be failure data or, you know, repair data for, you know, vehicles or for airplanes. When did they fail? What failed? You have that kind of data get fed in to the, the model. And then the model is going to learn over time, well, how long is the time between failures for a, a particular component? And you can break it down to a really high degree of detail, like, you know, this washer on this pump wow. on this engine fails at this frequency. Because over time, you build up a huge database of that information. Um and then I can use that to then drive the maintenance planning for the future. So it almost becomes, you know, capital uh, in, its own, in its own yeah. right. Talk about how AI works with intelligence analysis, for example, with uh, on a macro and a micro level, like, or, or, or with smart weapons. On a micro level, like, okay, yeah. we know who this guy is. That's who we're looking right. for. Get him. And on a macro level with um, analyzing intelligence. So on the micro level, you know, we already use AI algorithms in, uh, you know, some weapons that uh, will use uh, training data, you know, looking at, for example, uh, a long-range anti-ship missile, um, you know, has an AI-enabled guidance system. You know, so what it'll do is we'll train that guidance system on hundreds of images of enemy ships and friendly ships and, you know, non-combatant ships, um, and then train it to say, you know, this is a bad guy ship, this is a good guy ship, this is a non-combatant ship, um, this is not a ship, this is a, a lighthouse or something. So you train it on all this data, and you get that seeker, that guidance system, to understand, you know, what it's looking for. We're also using AI to evaluate you know, kind of the troves of uh, open source data that come in, just like, you know, all this commercial satellite imagery, information from social media on the Internet, and feed that into models so that we can um, train them uh, in terms of 
activities are indicative of what future outcomes. <laughs> so you can say, well, when I see these set of uh, ships or vehicles moving around in a near a base, and then you know, two days later, we see them do like a missile launch. Um, we can start to infer this kind of activity indicates a future missile launch is you know, going to come in the next few days. And so your intelligence models can use AI to start then predicting in the future when certain activities that are you're seeing in real time are indicative of certain future activities that are likely to occur um, and what they might mean about your adversary's behavior. And I guess a lot of this comes together when it comes to uncrewed uh, weapon systems and right. drones and whatever's coming next, where you don't need the manpower. Just look at Ukraine and Russia, where Ukraine is outmanned, right. but it doesn't matter so much. Right, right. So your AI algorithms can, you know, help to you know, take the place of a army of intelligence analysts, for example. So, you know, it used to be I would have to have a bunch of people doing number crunching to say, um, or you're looking at images to identify what's going on in some, you know, overhead satellite imagery that we got. I can use AI tools now once they've been trained to be able to do that automatically and at scale. So you can get massive amounts of intelligence uh, data coming in and then quickly, you know, put out intelligence products that actually digest it and tell you what you're looking at in these, you know, grainy images. And you can free up a lot of these people that would have spent their time thinking about that and instead have them focus on planning the next operation to make the enemy's life harder. So you can use your people a lot more efficiently instead of doing this grunt work of analysis and, and planning. Does this eventually, or does it not, sort of mitigate the United States or any nation's advantages um, in intelligence or simple manpower? If everybody has access to the same tools and down the road, those tools are about as good as everybody else's and they're being fed about as well as everybody else's isn't aren't we going to see yeah. more stalemates um i think what you'll see is i mean it's kind of uh it's just like any technology proliferation you know scheme where everybody eventually gets that same baseline level of technology and then you have to identify well what's the areas where i can get competitive advantage so you think about you know one area that's receiving a lot more attention now is counter ai efforts so how can i confuse the other side's ai how can i you know, cause bad learning or, or incorrect learning on the part of my enemy's artificial intelligence algorithms. So you've got to think about, well, how would I do that? Um, I can use some of my own AI tools to predict how a certain set of inputs might train the enemy's AI in a bad way. But you kind of, you know, that that ends up being where the advantage starts to be gained is in these edge, these edges of the of the AI com competition. So, you know, data, the effectiveness of learning, um, how creatively I can use anti-AI tools against my enemies. Those are going to be the places where you're going to see advantage. So it'll continue to evolve over time. And the countries or the militaries that spend more time focusing that, on that are going to have an edge over those that don't. How about the propaganda end of wars? I mean, how can AI be used to that end? And it is being used to that yeah. end, um, not just in hot wars, but in we've seen the Russians use it for yeah. a while in, in, in their propaganda efforts. Um, and how can that be fought? Yeah, so you know, propaganda, misinformation, disinformation—I guess is a better you know for term for this—is something that AI is being used for pretty aggressively right now. You know, create you know image generation, text generation, voice generation, um, so that you can create plausible depictions of uh, events that didn't occur or, or or a spoken word that didn't occur, and introducing that into the 
into the information environment is you know becoming much more prevalent and so i think there's you know so one way to deal with that is to use ai tools to be able to recognize it so in the same way that you can use an ai tool to recognize whether an image is a car or a boat or a lighthouse you can use an you can use ai tools to recognize whether a image or a, a piece of text or or spoken you know tract is real or if it's ai generated so you can use ai to fight ai in a lot of ways and i think that's an area where the you know us and and you know the information uh, warfare community is really focused is there a danger that at some point the tech gets so good that those indicators go away and you can and somebody could broadcast the president of the United States saying whatever they want to on a screen and then that administration has to get out there and 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 fight that successfully or not? Right. Um, but I'd say you're going to get to a point where it's it's difficult, right? There's, there's going to be, you know, some kind of stalemate, like you said, between the offense and defense when it comes to generating propaganda. And then I think that the other tools that you have at your disposal are this idea of, you know, how do I basically maneuver in the information space to cut off a- access for those propaganda outlets? You know, how can I, you know, basically predict when they're likely to produce propaganda and then either, you know, overwhelm them with true information or I do a cyber attack to take down the outlet and, and you know, eliminate that source of propaganda temporarily. Brian, I'll ask you what I'm sure you've been asked before about all this stuff. How does it not turn into the Terminator somehow? What, where where right. smart military tools go rogue due to being programmed in some un- unforeseen way or they're, they're learning faster or so well that they overtake what we want them to do? Is that not the logical end or is there a more optimistic view of this? Well, I think, you know, the, the limitations, you know, are, you know, that weapons, you know, all have a, you know, limited endurance lifetime. Uh, so, yes, you could end up with situations where AI enabled weapons, you know, once launched, you know, could go after targets that we didn't intend them to go after. You know, Rogue 2, and you could end up with a situation where weapons are being launched by platforms that, you know, are doing it basically based on their own decisions that are not the ones we would want them to make. Um, but there's always a limit into how much you, that really could go on because there's nobody to reload those you know, platforms. There's nobody to reload those weapons. You know, people are always necessary to kind of sustain any sort of military effort. So even if machines are they go rogue and they take an initial set of actions that, you know, we didn't want them to take, you know, continuing that effort is going to require people. And that's where it kind of slows down or stops. Brian Clark, senior fellow with the Center for Defense Concepts and Technology at the Hudson Institute, formerly with the United States Navy. Brian, thank you for coming on the Fox News Rundown. Thanks. Uh, my pleasure to be here. Thanks. Here's a look at the week ahead. Monday, New Jersey Senator Bob Menendez is set to be arraigned on new charges that he conspired to act as a foreign agent for Egypt. Tuesday brings the release of pop superstar Britney Spears' much-anticipated memoir, The Woman in Me. And the NBA season tips off with the reigning champion Denver Nuggets playing the L.A. Lakers. Wednesday, former Marine Daniel Penny is due back in a New York courtroom on charges stemming from the chokehold death of Jordan Neely on a New York City subway captured on video. Thursday is a good time to start carving for Halloween. It's National Pumpkin Day. Friday, the World Series gets underway. Best of seven to determine baseball's champion. And 1989 Taylor's version is released. Taylor Swift's latest re-recording of a past album. Saturday, the groundbreaking ceremony for a new school in Uvalde, Texas, over a year after the deadly mass shooting at Robb Elementary. And that's a look at your week ahead. I'm Matt Napolitano, Fox News.
Hey, everyone, it's Kennedy, and you can listen to my podcast, Kennedy Saves the World. It's going five days a week on the Fox News Podcast Network. We're bringing you all the fan favorites. Listen on Spotify, Apple, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download podcasts. Rate and review the Fox News Rundown on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. It's time for your Fox News commentary. Carol Roth. What's on your mind? With the tenuous and fragile geopolitical backdrop of today, the U.S. would want to be able to leverage a strong financial foundation. Whether a solid balance sheet that could accommodate an increase in military and related spending if needed, or a strategic petroleum reserve that was full and ready for an actual emergency, the U.S. should be fortified and have all options available. Unfortunately, that is not the case today. The IMF has come out explicitly and reinforced what its analysis has shown implicitly for quite some time. The current financial position of the U.S. is unsustainable. This should be no surprise, as this has been echoed by analysis from the Treasury, the Congressional Budget Office, and just about anyone not detached from reality. This unsustainability creates not only an economic security issue for the U.S., but a national security issue as well. The ongoing conflicts around the globe are undoubtedly related to the perceived all-around weakness of the U.S. on the international stage. The president projects weakness in his persona and actions, the latter ranging from releasing oil from our strategic reserves, not for an emergency purpose, but for a political stunt in an effort to artificially temporarily suppress prices, to loosening sanctions on Iran and providing them access just last month to another $6 billion in cash. Not to mention that we have a completely porous southern border under Biden that has let in millions of people with no idea from where they've come or their intentions for being here. The countries around the world who seek to further weaken the U.S.'s stronghold economically and otherwise have been working to hasten and exploit this existing weakness. The U.S. must urgently fortify every aspect of its foundation. Fortify its border. Fortify its energy position. Fortify its ability to get critical supplies in the face of geopolitical uncertainty. And fortify its financial position by getting serious about its deficits and its balance sheet. The financial dereliction of duty by the current administration, by Congress, and by those associated with them has created not only an economic security issue, but a national security issue as well. We cannot afford what's ahead, and our enemies want to exploit that. Those in positions to implement reform must do so or we will all further suffer the consequences. I'm Carol Roth, recovering investment banker and author of You Will Own Nothing. You can connect with me at carolroth.com news. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. And now, stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts Plus on Apple Podcasts. And Prime members can listen to the show ad-free on Amazon Music. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. 
Kudlow on Fox Business is now on the go for podcast fans. Get key interviews with the biggest business newsmakers of the day. The Kudlow Podcast will be available on the go after the show every weekday at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. The Will Kane Show is now dropping five episodes a week. Join Fox and Friends weekend host Will Kane as he tackles the latest headlines from his unique perspective, along with thought-provoking interviews with leading figures and live calls from viewers and listeners. Listen wherever you download your favorite podcasts.